Hold your station, this education is relevant. The motivation through conversation is evident. We're talking spiritual body, mind, development. This is the manhood experiment. Welcome back to the manhood experiment. Today is an exciting topic, something that is certainly in my wheelhouse, uh, writing a book on making healthy taste good. It comes from a recent question that I got with a client about staying consistent, you know, with healthy habits, especially when it comes to eating, you know, with the temptations that come along with being in a family, traveling, you know, willpower and all that good stuff. I felt like I wanted to tell you guys, you know, my personal story and journey and how this whole healthy eating lifestyle, you know, became such a strong part of my identity. Uh, and I think it's something that a lot of you guys will be able to relate here. You know, the big problem that a lot of people have is, is, is conditioning. You grow up in a certain way. A lot of people will blame genetics and say, because of this and because of that. But what I've seen often and often again is this conditioning that we're in can either limit us or create, you know, the, these lens that we're viewing the world and how we eat and our lifestyle and our habits. And it's up mm -hmm. to us to free our mind and, uh, you know, recondition all that. So let me take you back way, way back. Yeah. Tell us a story. Yeah. It's, it's storytelling time. So going back to my childhood, my mom and dad divorced at a pretty early age. You know, I was, I was about five years old. And so they did something funny with my brother and I, they would split us up and, you know, my dad would have my brother for a little while. Then I would go with my mom for a period of time. And I always loved being with my mom because she was a people pleaser and she enabled me, you know, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying spoiled, but I could, my, my salesman skills came at a pretty early age. I could sell her on eating little Debbie, you know, fudge brownies instead of, you know, <laughs> what, what was for dinner, vegetables, you know, especially. And so when I grew up, I was probably one of the pickiest kids you could ever imagine. And why this story is really relevant here is I was also stunted for growth. I was the smallest kid. And I don't know if anybody else can relate, but I mean, in class, when I showed up to school, I was the smallest kid and it didn't help having a late birthday. You know, I had one of those summertime birthdays, but this was different because my brother also had a summertime birthday. We were two days apart, but five years apart. And he was one of the biggest kids around, you know, and mm -hmm. for me, this was hard. It, it from an early age, I think affected my self-worth because my older brother probably made fun of me a little bit that I was so small. And I got used to having this identity of just being really small. And I made the most of it. The people pleaser me that came from my mom tried to make people laugh and tried to fit in any way that I could. Um, but then I, I struggled when it came to sports because you got to think when you're, you're, you're picking up your squad for, for basketball or flag football in the field, it's like, you're not going to pick that, that, you know, the, the smallest kid unless he's, he's got wheels and he's super fast. Right. You know, and I, I could keep up, but I wasn't the fastest kid around either, and I was smaller. So for me, it got so extreme when I was about 12 years old, I was able to go to some basketball camps and whatnot. And I was still just, I was so much smaller than everybody else. Then my mom literally set up an appointment with our doctor this comes after the appointment that I had her convinced I was allergic to vegetables. So how long you did uh, what? Let me just bro. You, let let me give you let me give you a little context. 
I was about eight years old and we would be eating dinner and she would make me, you know, she was doing what a mom should do, feeding me Brussels sprouts and broccoli. And I would chew them up in my mouth until they had absolutely no flavor. And I would store them in the side of my cheap, like a chipmunk. And then I wouldn't be able to swallow it, but who would? And so I would gag and say, I can't swallow this. And this went on for like weeks. And so my mom would give in and let me have, you know, a grilled cheese sandwich or, you know, some cookie dough or something like that. Bro, you need an Oscar. She literally, <laughs> she, oh, I, I grew up on hot dogs. I'll, I'll, I'll go in there. So took me to the doctor and was just like, I think he is allergic to vegetables. And I was turning red in the face at this point because I knew I was about to get busted. The doctor was like, no, he just doesn't like them. And so he's choosing to create this gag reflex around something that he doesn't want to do. Again, how powerful is the mind? We can convince ourselves that we literally have issues or problems with things. This started at an early age. Again, I was enabled to be able to do these types of things. You know, nothing, you know, I don't want to throw any, you know, throw any dirt on my mom or anything like that, but we're, we're all trying to raise kids over here. And so my childhood was hot dogs, like macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and hot dog soup, literally. And I would make grilled cheese sandwiches with mayonnaise in them, put them in the microwave. Who was letting me do that? I don't oh. know. And so we get to this, we get to this point where we we go to the doctor. I'm obsessed with basketball. Mm. Like, and my brother's very tall for his age. You know, he he could dunk when he was like 14 years old. It was just large, and it didn't look like I was going at the same trajectory that he was. And so we go into the doctor, and it was just a simple question. My mom was like. I have one son that is at like the 90 percentile, like large, and this other one that is like the smallest kid in class, like what gives? Is there, is there something wrong with him? Like that's how serious this was. And the doctor gave me some words of wisdom that literally changed my life. You know, at an early age, this doctor said, you know, what are you eating? And I said, you know, well, I like, I like hot dogs. I like fudge brownies. I like cookie dough and brownie batter. <laughs> and I'm not talking about ice cream flavors. I'm talking about... At an early age, I knew how to make some brownie batter, and I would just eat raw brownie batter and Laffy Taffy and uh, and, and licorice. A, like, this was my base diet. Jason, you had an iron and stomach. soda pop. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Jay, you had an iron stomach oh, yeah. as a kid. How were you doing it's, that? It's crazy, man. <laughs> I trained, baby. I trained for this. And so this this diet that I had, and this doctor was saying – I don't know if, because I was like, is it stunting my growth? You know, I said this as a little kid asking around and he's like, it's not necessarily that these foods are stunting your growth. They're just not providing you with the resources to grow. And he said it in a way, he's like, your body needs amino acids. I heard this like at nine, in 1990, like four, 1995-ish when amino acids were not a popular thing, when protein was not a popular thing, but it was enough that I could like go get an encyclopedia and look up what amino acids were and try to find them. <laughs> And for me, where this big light bulb moment was, was it, the, the habits that I had been doing were creating this comfort zone and feeding my taste buds and, and making me feel good with the instant gratification, but they were not providing me with this fertile soil to be able to grow. And so the big thing to take away from this was like, all right, I still want to, you know, I want to enjoy myself. And I started adding in you know, foods, we went and bought, there was only one type of protein and we got it from like a, a, a convenience store, not a convenience store. It felt like it, it was called muscle blast. It was a metal can. 
and it tasted like barca mulch. And I didn't care. I, I started adding it to pancakes. I added it to uh, like sh- juice and shakes and just stirred it up. And it, I, I would gag going down, but I was like, I'll do whatever it takes to be able to grow. I had this why power that was stronger <laughs> than my willpower. And so that was where it was started. I, I still ate garbage food, but I would prioritize protein. I didn't know a lot about what it was, but it started it started working. Within a, a couple years, I started feeling like I was filling out a little bit more. And this still goes, you know, I, I went out and tried to play football freshman year. I was, for the weigh-in, I was 109 pounds, five foot four as a freshman. Like, just let that sink in. I'm, you know, I'm 6'1 now, 185, 190. As a freshman, people were laughing when we did our weigh-ins and everything like that. And then I started finally getting some traction. I hit the weight room. And it wasn't like I was eating completely healthy and clean, but I now was prioritizing adding in these different types of foods. And as a kid, I, I needed like ketchup on everything to be able to eat everything. And as I evolved, you know, ketchup became other flavors that contributed to my health a little bit more. Um, you know, sneaking these things and what I consider like upgrading these foods and finding flavor insurance to add on to things. But what was limiting me at the same time was like, as a kid, why would I know better? And I think some of you guys can relate to this is the skepticism that I had. And I see this a lot with clients that I work with. Like if I look at something, you tell me this is healthy. The first thing that goes to my mind is, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical that it's going to taste quote unquote healthy. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that term, you know, come up a lot. So when we look at anything with skepticism, we're creating this bias for not liking it. We're creating this bias instead of being open-minded that it is going Mm. to be good for us. And where I'm going with all this is we can train our taste buds just like we can train other habits in our life to create a bias for what it's offering us. We'll have more leniency on why we're trying these different things. Mm. And as this evolved, like I didn't use this just to grow. I had acne like a lot of people dealt with. I had uh, digestive issues and I realized that there was certain foods that I was eating that you know, that were culprits from that, like fast food and, and dairy and things like that were probably altering my, my gut microbiome and my hormones. And so I had to create an association with what I ate and how it made me feel. Now, my family wasn't helping me determine this. And a lot of my, you know, immediate environment wasn't, this was something that I had to figure out and be my own investigator and that's what I'm encouraging you guys could, to do, you know, at the same time. And this was extreme. I mean, it was it was to where like, you know, my parents and family would be embarrassed that I would I would bring a bottle of ketchup. You know, it'd be Thanksgiving. I would be squirting ketchup all over the place. Um, we got we have food stamps as a kid and I would just take them and go blow them on on candy and all that just because it was what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so just to show you how extreme that transition uh, can go, there's a lot of power in that. Uh, but I don't know if you guys have any sort of relatable stories. There's a lot more here. And what I want to serve you guys up with is, you know, why nutrition is such an important thing for being a healthy male to be able to, whether it's, it's business showing up our best, managing our energy mm-hmm. and, and define what healthy is at the same time as well, that healthy is subjective, you know, for healthy, some is the absence of disease the absence of, of pain and discomfort. And for some healthy is just thriving and showing up and being your best. But can any of you guys relate to anything like that? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say I, what first I'd like to say what, 
what you said there makes sense because we are wired as as children and and teenagers growing up that unhealthy tastes good, junk food tastes good, and healthy food tastes bad. Mm. So it has been, and now as we get into adulthood, we still carry those same habits, that same mindset. And I've found myself, there's a breaking point where you either go in the continuous same direction or, or you change, you have to make a change. And I had to relearn all, all about eating and nutrition versus what I was taught growing up. I grew up in the Caribbean in Trinidad, and, and uh, I had a lot of uh, carbohydrates, a lot of flour food, a lot of oil food, um, mm-hmm. high fats, not a lot of protein. And those, my taste buds were are so used to that. Like, even if I see a picture of a local cuisine, Trinidad, I instantly get hungry. I just want to eat it. Um, it's still wired there, you know, so it's been it's been a work in progress over the years, but it is very possible, you say, to to relearn those skills. Um, I was. Yeah, I think that's a big piece to that. It's almost like that comfort. They call it comfort food. Right. You know, where I'm from in the South, man, we we fry things like no other. You know what I mean? We fry anything that can be fried. If you can put it in the fryer, if it fits and it's digestible, it's going in there and we're going to make it work. Fish, chicken, shrimp, if it could be fried, we doing it. And I've had to kind of grow in a place to where, yes, fried foods are a big part of like the American diet. Everybody knows that. It's convenient, it's easy, it's quick. But then I've noticed at certain times how I feel after eating fried food versus how I feel when I've taking time to either say meal prep or do something differently and how my body reacts to the energy I have the next day. And that part has kind of been um, more of my incentive to, you know, open my palate a little bit more to other foods. Um, I would say growing up, my mom, she never really had to worry about us eating our vegetables because, you know, there's a certain type of flavors that she used like collard greens was a big part of the diet. Certain certain things that I learned to acquire a taste for, like you were saying, that I started to enjoy earlier. And she didn't really let us get away with too much. She was like, no, it's there. You're eating it. I'm like, no, I don't want to. We protest. You have to sit there. Like, I remember my sister sitting at the table for like hours because she would try to protest eating her food. And yeah. no, you're just going to sit on that phone book because <laughs> you're short you sit at you sit on the phone book at the table until, <laughs> until the food disappeared somehow and sadly we didn't have a dog growing up so <laughs> we had to put it away ourselves but that you know that's my early i feel memories. you man it's from working with kids working with families working with people who are just big kids growing up with these conditioned habits that they never shook i have found solutions, you know, for people to be able to help with this. And the thing is, you you have to be open-minded. And for me, I desired so much to change and improve. And for me, it was to grow. I wanted to grow into, you know, a respectable person that that had this size and could perform well. And then that evolved more into like looking a certain way. I wanted my skin to be clear. And so I always had kind of a narrative of what I was eating and then studying nutrition 
I was exposed to just like a simple question as far as like, what does this food have to offer me? Mm. And I always added in beyond instant gratification because it's easy to say, you know, like, yeah, those fried foods and, and all that food, it offers me comfort. It brings my family together. I have an Italian background and it's like eating, you know, food is something that brings us together. Mm. Like that's what it does. But it's like when you don't have that control pattern to turn that off and you know, food is always going to be there. Right? That means comfort's always going to be there in the form of food. You can see where this can be such a strong addiction for people. And so where we get this shift is we have to realize that this can change. Like one of my favorite things of working with people is saying, I didn't used to like this. Now fill in the blank. We'll just use salmon as an example. Not saying that mm. you need to eat salmon, but it's a big staple in the Mediterranean diet. Um, it's how it's prepared. And let's think about this with other habits in life if we want to think you know, metaphorically. But Brussels sprouts, my mom would steam them and she was not as well talented with the seasoning department. My grandma, yes. But my mom would say, eat Brussels sprouts because they're good for you. Mm. Well, it's funny how Brussels sprouts and broccoli would make me gag as a kid because how they were prepared. Now, every trendy hipster restaurant you go to has got, you know, Brussels sprout popcorn and, you know, roasted broccoli because now it's caramelized and prepared in a way that brings out these natural flavors and so with the bacon on it with the bacon <laughs> on it and that is flavor insurance before we continue we need your help we'd like to reach more like-minded people just like you and share our knowledge on personal growth health and success so can you do us a favor and in your podcast app hit the subscribe button give us a five-star review and leave us an encouraging comment. Do it right now while you listen to this episode. That will help us know you're listening and that you care. And that little action will help us reach more folks. Now back to our show. And so those are training wheels. We learn how to ride a bike by having training wheels. And this is the same thing how we're going to train our taste buds is how you prepare the things. It's going to require research and development, messing up some dishes, taking some of the flavors that you like and putting them on there because you realize the importance of when you eat these foods, you're going to feel so much better. And let's go into some examples of that. That could be, you know, certain sauces and seasonings that you're using, like something simple like garlic powder or onion powder, uh, a quality salt or lemon or lime. Those are all things that are not super calorically dense, but you can put on your food so that it's not mm -hmm. bland. And with sweets, we know that in the culinary world, things taste good because of salt, fat, and sugar. Well, if we can upgrade those major staples and eat things that are not considerably, you know, oversalted, too much fat or too much sugar by upgrading the types and the amount of we're doing it, doing, you know, using less sugar, using natural sweetness from fruits. Because what happened to me and what happens to a lot of people is my taste buds were literally hijacked by these hyper palatable foods that these mega companies are creating to keep people addicted to this giant machine of keeping people eating fast food that keeps people sick and, you know, and soda pop and sugars and all that. So if I'm eating Laffy Taffy and uh, licorice, like I said, and Starburst constantly, I love the pink ones. If I'm eating those all day long, 
how is a strawberry or blueberry going to taste? Mm-hmm. Think about that, the, the comparison of those two. And so what happens is we have to train ourselves to phase some of those foods out and we do it by crowding in the natural stuff. If you just started eating blueberries and strawberries, and watermelon as an alternative to candy, there's still sugar in it, but it's going to help to train your taste buds. And we know this from food psychology that if we expose our taste buds to new things, we can learn to evolve and adapt those. And then we can double down on this. This is insurance by telling your brain that something good is Mm. happening. This is how dopamine works. It's the seeking hormone that we do things based on seeking out the results from something. So as a kid, I, and as a teenager and going into my adolescence, I would read books on like, you know, Popeye, you know, this isn't a book that I read, but as a kid, Popeye eats spinach and so he grows big muscles. Well, as we get older, we see, oh, superfoods. You know, we eat collard greens and chard and and broccoli and these foods that provide us with nourishment are going to make us Mm -hmm. healthier. Um, Or I'd find out, wow, wild salmon has omega-3s. They're good for brain and inflammation and it's a protein that's going to help keep me satiated. By me eating that, I'm going to be healthier or eating like other different superfoods. And so by doing that, you're creating more leniency to try that by eating this, it might not taste good right away, but I'm getting benefits from it. And then you use flavors and you sneak it into other foods that you like. And now you are doing this on a regular basis. You are, like I said, a little more lenient with trying it. This is the opposite of skepticism. If I say, wow, spirulina or chlorella that's common in all these green you know, foods is a seaweed, that's not going to sound like it tastes good. But if it's mixed in with like some mint and some chocolate in a smoothie and it's at some trendy superfood bar, oh, now I'm willing to try it type of thing. And this is, these are extreme examples, but I want you to try this on and see where you can fit into this. The same thing goes for you know, new working habits like meditation and breathing. We've heard enough about the benefits of meditation to know that it's doing something good, whether it's bringing our blood pressure down or helping us be more creative or helping us manage stress. It's the same thing. It's going to be uncomfortable and unfamiliar at first because I'd rather listen to music or watch you know, YouTube videos. But we have to train ourselves by doing something that's small and palatable. All right, five minutes at a time. I can commit mm-hmm. to that type of thing. It's like eating your vegetables or your protein before you eat your carbohydrates. By the way, that's a good tip right there for your blood sugar. Eat your protein first. Oh, Jay, I got a question for you. I have a cousin, and they like to just mix everything up when they eat. But I have another cousin. They hate when their food touches, right? Me, I like to kind of put my food in proportions, and I save the best thing or the thing that I think is going to taste the best for last. And then I start noticing my wife does is I'm like, oh, Ooh. you do the same thing. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. It's like, so uh, it's right. It's, it's like powerful. whatever you think is going to be the most tasty thing on a plate, I save it for last and try to eat everything up into that. And usually it's like the protein. It's usually the star of the plate, right? <laughs> so you want to eat your vegetable first. Uh-huh. So check this out. There's, well, there's a couple of things. So with that, what I observe with that, and like that, there's some psychology in that. You're training willpower by saving something that you like first and eating things that you need to. Now, we do know from me following blood, you know, blood glucose monitor, like what happens to your blood sugar. One of the easiest things you can do to improve your blood sugar is eat protein first because it's satiating 
it's more work for your body to be able to break down. So if you eat that first before you eat carbohydrates, you'll be satiated. You will eat less. But, you know, you at the same time, I think vegetables could certainly fall into that category because they are going to provide you some fiber. But training your willpower, that's a thing. And that's how we train our willpower and how we will improve our dopamine receptors. Because if all day long we're teased by instant gratification and uh, scrolling through Instagram and, and things like that, that is down-regulating, you know, the quality of our dopamine receptors. And so we train it by building willpower and doing the things that we need to do. But willpower is at a limited supply. And if we don't have energy, we don't have willpower. So this is where it goes full cycle that we have to provide our bodies with nourishment so that we have the energy, that we have the willpower to do the things we need to do, and then we get good quality sleep. But like we go back all the time, I think people want shortcuts. People want a pill that takes care of everything. Because it's quick. And that's just not the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's quick. But it's like, as a kid, I always wanted shortcuts. Like, I think that I was in denial until like my mid to late 20s thinking that like, wow, you really got, you like hard work really does pay off type of thing. And I respected that process. But it's true. Like when we do things, we value things and respect them that much more. And this whole story is not me saying, oh, I developed iron willpower and discipline about eating foods that I didn't think tasted good. For me, it's no, I have a new way of enjoying what I eat all of the time because I upgraded my way of thinking, my conditioning, and I expanded Mm -hmm. my view. And it's the challenge that I have. And I've seen this be successful for kids. And let's go back to one more thing. As a kid, I heard this from a doctor who I respected compared to my parents always telling me to do things. And it didn't stop there. I remember, you know, I went to a, a basketball camp and there was some guy who was really tall and I asked him what he ate. And it was something generic like he, you know, drank milk and, and ate some protein. But me hearing it from this person was like, oh, wow, if he does it, I need to do that. We have to be careful with that. But it was enough to at least plant that seed for me to create a stronger bias around all of that. I think you brought up a really good point of um, just considering your immediate circle. You like the you're the sum of the people around you, right? So kind of considering their influence of the advice that you take and making sure you have somebody that you trust enough to put you in the right direction when it comes to diet and i see how this metaphor could really open up into a lot of other things if the listeners are listening how just this mindset of you know prioritizing what goes in your body and prioritizing what you digest in general right that could really open it up to life what you receive on tv what you digest and what you read and the information you get like we can go there but just to keep it about nutrition what you put in your body how it has such an effect on what you continue to do because you're training a habit, right? And you're training your body to repeat. And I like that you identified what the feeling is, dopamine. So now, like, what comes to my mind, because, you know, in hip-hop, we're like, oh, man, that's dope. I can kind of take that and appropriate it to, um, man, is this dope or is this not dope? Because I don't want to put something in my body that's not dope. You know, I want to put the best in my body. So what what am I, like I training that. my body to do right now? Is this going to be a dope habit that I want to continue? Or is this going to be something like, 
nah, this, this is going to cause an issue. Um, like for me and my family, our biggest thing is um, some things are environment, some things are genetic, right? And some people can't help what genetics you have in your body. You know, you can't like, uh, you, you can't really control where you started, but you control how you finish. So that type of idea is what I'm getting from this to where some people are more prone to obesity because it's in your family. But you can still try to find that diet that helps curve that because you may not be able to help that you're going to be growing to be a six foot five, 250 plus person that that might be in your bones. That might be in some of your your structure, because at that height, your BMI is going to be different. Your, your body mass index will be different than somebody who's, you know, 200 pounds at six foot two, you know, that. It's, some of this is based on bone density, your weight. So I wouldn't necessarily go by weight when you're talking about your nutrition. But as I, Jay was saying to the listeners, I, I like to really think about what I'm, what am I putting in my body? What am I putting in my body? And how is this making me feel the next day to create that that habit? Is that what you? Is that kind of the mind frame that you're talking about, Jay? It's about playing your cards. I, I like that. It's a good analogy. Just quickly, I'll I'll say. We're dealt these these cards, and it's up to us how we, we play them. And every day, like, are you playing your cards the best that you can play them, uh, you know, to to enjoy this game of life, if you want to think about it that way. Yeah, I, and I want to add um, something I know about you over the years, um, Jay Dragon, is that you like to experiment and experimenting with healthy. And I think that's a good foundation, a good mindset to have. Just experiment. Just like how you mix your mix your concoctions of flavors and foods and you try to get the right taste the taste that appeals to you. So that's one thing I know of you as well. And I think that would be valuable for the, for the listener. Also, we have, we have a couple minutes left and how would you summarize or what is it like if you had to give this bullet points for them to take away, how would you uh, frame that? For me, it's simple framework. You know, you have to have a desire to improve. And I think that comes with you know, I, there's the term that, you know, it's not about being interested in something. Like if you want to make a change, like you, you almost have to be fascinated with it. And for me, I challenge everybody to truly get fascinated with your body and your energy. And just think about there are times when you feel better when your body's like a chemistry set when it's working. And we know that when we can start to feed it proper f- foods, you know, compare ourselves to like a plant. I remember the doctor said something like this to me, like, what mm-hmm. if you poured soda pop in a plant, what would happen? You know, and it's like, we are like that to a sense. And so get interested in it. There's so many resources. We need to be the ones doing all the experiments. And, and like all these episodes, we want to leave you with an experiment. And the one that I want to leave you with today is about, you know, finding your delicious. <laughs> and that's how I do it. I cultivate excitement because I'm going to create something. I wrap up what I need in something yummy. And I know it sounds like a little kid type of thing, but it's what's worked for me. And it's how I still have fun. Even when I'm tired, I can open up my cabinet with flavor insurance and throw it on foods. And so what I want you to think about is creating some recipes that you crave. And that could be reverse engineering your desired outcome. So uh, this could be one of your favorite restaurants where you there's a menu or a dish that you like, something, a recipe, try to recreate that at home. And to do that with training wheels, just mm. remix it. 
I think that's where it starts. For example, you could bring home a dish and then throw in some flavors because that's going to give you some autonomy. You can go to a salad bar and not that you need to go to Whole Foods, but they have a big salad bar. It's fresh in mind and just pick up some stuff, bring it home, throw it, stir fry it. Um, what sauces and seasonings do you have? You know, like, you know, you make a vinaigrette with some apple cider vinegar or some olive oil and some garlic or some hot sauce, for example. Um, and then the other way, the last part of this experiment is like you can upgrade the things that you desire. So for me, I eat pancakes every day, but I add some protein and some collagen to them. So they're providing me with a lot of nourishment and nutrition. And I'm not using a bunch of sugar. I'm using like stevia or monk fruit, for example. So I just want you to think about, look at something that you crave and, and how can you upgrade it? And the easiest way to upgrade is look at those two things, salt, sugar, and fat, but especially the fat and sugar. How can you eliminate or lower that sugar significantly and lower that fat significantly? So like per serving, you know, it's reasonable. It's not over mm. 15, 20 grams of fat. That's a big win and you'll create some momentum because you'll start to become a believer. And if you just Google healthy version of fill in the blank, your favorite food, good place to start. Try this out. I will warn you that <laughs> you're going to mess some things up and it's worth it. Because then you're going to continue to do better with it. Watch some YouTube videos because like nobody knows what they're doing at first. We talk about this a lot and that's why we take experiments. Mm -hmm. Manhood experiment. You got to experiment. I'm, I'm with you on that, Jay. I was just looking up some things like you just said, man, you could just Google this. I was like, let me Google something. This garlic here. And uh, what I found just Googling garlic powder as a flavor, uh, support prevention and treatment of cardiovascular disease. Reduce high blood pressure, reduce cholesterol, and uh, try triglyceride levels, support the prevention of uh, progressive cancer. And I'm like, dang, if I'm thinking about the cards I was dealt, you know, in my family genome, as you know, being a black man, these are all the things they said I'm prone to. Let me just throw some garlic on it, baby. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> you're right. Just as simple as Googling that, boom. That's what's up. Easy experiment. And now, now you went from liking garlic to loving garlic because it was it has what to offer. I, I talked about that in my book. The same thing goes for like turmeric mm. and it's in curry, which is in a lot of traditional types of dishes. So it's like um, that's a good place to start. Um, I hope that was helpful for all you guys. You got anything to leave them with, uh, T-Rex? I think that's it. I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I, I feel if people take a... Uh, one thing they take away from this podcast is just experiment, uh, take something they, they like, they crave, um, and then alter it in the healthier version. And that's an easy, ha easy habit to build from there versus trying to eat uh, a salad you don't want. So, uh, or something that you don't want to, you, you don't crave for. So, uh, it's a good framework to use. And, um, I hope you guys uh, found that useful. Yeah. Take that easy version and make it dope with dopamine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there, there, there's your recipe for consistency is finding a way to enjoy the process. I think this carries over to a lot of things in life. But diets fail because people cannot adhere to them because they aren't consistent with them because a lot of times they don't enjoy them. So if we can enjoy what we're doing, put that in the ingredients, you can have a more flexible approach. You can plan things, prepare your exhausted self. That's how you're going to be able to improve your energy overall. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you try that experiment out. And until the next time, this is the Manhood Experiment. And we'll catch you later.
Hey, what's up? This is Big Dreams. Thank you for checking out today's episode of The Manhood Experiment. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and give us five stars. Not only does your feedback matter, but it helps us to connect with others just like you that find value in our weekly episodes. So, subscribe, share, and speak with your friends and family about today's episode. And most importantly, take care of yourself, keep growing, and join us again on the next episode of The Manhood Experiment.